Thank you for listening to In Good Faith, the Central Reformed Church Sermon Podcast. This episode's sermon is titled, Pray Then in This Way, Forgive Us Our Debts, and is based on Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 and verses 5 through 15. It was delivered on Sunday, March 19th, 2023, by Pastor Steve Pierce. you to turn uh, in your pew Bibles to page 787. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. There was a pastor not too far from Grand Rapids who on her first Sunday as the newly installed minister decided that she would preach on the subject of forgiveness. And from the pulpit she boldly asked how many of the congregants had forgiven their enemies. And about half of the hands went up. And then she asked the question again. And the next time it was about 80% of the hands went up. And then she asked the question again, and about everybody put up their hands except for an elderly woman sitting in the back of the sanctuary. And the preacher then asked, Mrs. Jones, are you not willing to forgive your enemies? I don't have any, she replied. Well, Mrs. Jones, that's very unusual. How old are you? Ninety-three, she said with great energy. Mrs. Jones, could you explain to everyone in this room how a person could not have an enemy anywhere in the world. And grinning with delight, she looked up and said, oh, it's really easy. You just have to outlive them. That's an old one, but a great one. And I wish it was that easy. Oh, boy, do I wish it was as easy as outliving 
the people that have disappointed us and let us down. I have a colleague of mine who, who would always tell us it would be wise for us preachers to preach on the subject of forgiveness at least three times a year. He believed that the single greatest obstacle for growing more mature in Jesus Christ is our unwillingness to forgive others. When we fail to forgive, we carry a heavy burden, don't we? We carry a burden of that which has both been by the injured and the one who has caused the injury. But most of us in this room know that the biggest burden is carried by the one who is unwilling to forgive. The days and the months and the years go by and the accumulation of uh, transgressions that, that go unforgiven in a person's heart results in stagnation. Maybe that's you this morning. You know yourself best and as the old saying goes, the last person you want to lie to is yourself. So think about it. Here we are going through this Lord's Prayer and we make it to probably the hardest part of Jesus' teaching on this subject. You have to think about it from his perspective perhaps that if Christ has forgiven our many sins, why is it so difficult for us to forgive others? Does the Lord's Prayer not call on the church to do so? Um, do we not, as the body of Christ, need to be that place where folks know they can go, where love and forgiveness is paramount? Do we not regularly recite the Apostles' Creed and say that we believe in the forgiveness of sins? Every Sunday, we not only ask for forgiveness of our debts, but we pray that we will forgive our, our debtors. And we say it so frequently. Maybe frivolously. Do we really mean it? I mean, how in the world can Jesus have died on the cross for our sins and yet we hold on to an ugly past? How is that possible with all that he has done that we would be willing to hold a grudge or an unforgiving heart toward someone else? There's an old saying, and it goes like this, to live above with those we love, that'll be glory. To live below with those we know, well, that's another story. But what do we do when someone has hurt us deeply? What do we do when that injury has not only damaged and disrupted our life, but has changed its very direction forever? What do we do when the hurt turns to anger and the anger turns to resentment and the resentment buries itself deep within the psyche? What do we do with that? Where do we go? How can it be fixed? These are questions that haunt countless people, not just those who follow Christ. Simon Wiesenthal survived the Nazi concentration camps where 89 members of his family were tortured, mutilated, and destroyed. He decided to write a book, and the book is titled The Sunflower, which begins with a haunting story that took place during his imprisonment. He was selected at random 
from a work detail, yanked aside, and then taken up the back stairs to a hospital corridor where a nurse led him into a dark room with a pitiful figure wrapped in white, lying on a bed. The man was a German officer who had been badly wounded. Parts of his body were covered with yellow stained bandages and gauze covered his entire face. In a weak, trembling voice, the man offered a sacramental confession to Wiesenthal. He recounted his earlier years talking about his days in Hitler's youth movement. He told Wiesenthal about his actions on the Russian front and the harsh treatment that was wrought against the Jews by the SS, by his SS unit. Then he told a horrible atrocity. When his unit herded all the Jews in one town into a wooden building and then they torched it. And then men, women, and children were jumping from the second story with their clothing ablaze as he and his comrades took aim and fired, killing them all. He started to tell Wiesenthal about one boy with dark eyes and hair, but his voice gave way. Several times Wiesenthal tried to leave the room, but each time he made a move, the mummy-like figure would reach out with his cold, bloodless hand and restrain him from leaving. Finally, after several hours, the German officer explained to him why he had summoned a Jewish prisoner to his bedside. He said, I know what I'm asking is almost too much for you, but without your answer, I cannot die in peace. Then he asked Wiesenthal for forgiveness for all of his crimes against the Jews, against his people. He was asking a Jewish prisoner who might die next at the hands of his SS comrades to forgive him. Wiesenthal stood there in silence. He didn't know what to do. So he left the room. He left the room, leaving the soldier to die unforgiven. Who here could pass judgment on such an extreme dilemma confronted, that had confronted Wiesenthal in that dark hospital room? And we're on a journey, and it's not just through the Lord's Prayer. We're on a journey to Good Friday, to the cross of Christ, where we remember how Jesus healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he befriended the unclean, he encouraged the poor, he remembered those who were forgotten, those who were cast out. Those in power sought to silence him, and so they condemned him to die. And the crowd watching him, those who ridiculed him, mocked him, beat him, tortured him, crammed a crown of thorns onto his skull, were all the same people who watched him in agony as he bled and died on the cross. There was a sign above his head that read, King of the Jews. And our Lord Jesus looked down from the cross at one point before he died, and what did he say? 
about the very people who had done all of these things to him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As Simon Wiesenthal experienced, and of all the acts that Jesus performed, this is the hardest one for us, isn't it? It is hard for us to forgive those who have sinned against us. And I know I'm not alone. Each and every one of us has experienced something that has caused us great pain. And that's a point to bring up because even, even though we know this is true, forgiveness doesn't mean that the hurt will cease. We all have wounds that run deep. Wounds that may hurt for a long time. And just because we still experience past emotional hurt and, and pain that comes with it doesn't mean that somehow we are failing as Christians. Likewise, forgiveness does not mean we forget a traumatic experience. It happened. And we won't forget. But forgiveness doesn't allow the memory to be used against others. And forgiveness doesn't allow the offense to control or dominate our behavior. About 10 years ago, a friend of mine told me about his affair. This was a very awkward and uncomfortable conversation that we had. And so for about a year, he and his wife separated. He told me it was the darkest time the darkest space of his life, sleepless nights, depression, loneliness, guilt, intense sadness, tears. He wasn't eating or taking care of himself. All he thought about was winning back his wife and his family. That's what he wanted. He wanted forgiveness and a chance to start over. And as he was telling me the story, He told me that, but by the grace of God, she took me back. There was therapy. There were meetings with the priest. There was prayer. And not once, never, did his wife ever say, oh, oh, you're going to do that to me? Oh, yeah? Well, I'll do it to you, and you'll know what intense pain and suffering feels like. Never once. Did she do that? Not once. But by the grace of God, she forgave him. And that does not mean that she'll ever forget. But she has forgiven him. And as my friend said, that's enough. That's enough. There's an author by the name of John Stroman who says, Forgiveness is not unconditional. It assumes repentance on the part of of the one who is praying for forgiveness. There's nothing to be gained by a man who has beaten his wife in a drunken rage if he has no intention of dealing with his alcohol problem. The Lord's Prayer, along with the commentary attached to this Matthew 6, 14 through 15, does not suggest that God's forgiveness is given out in the number of times we have forgiven. Rather, we must genuinely repent of our hardness of heart before expecting to receive God's mercy 
and forgiveness. And so that's what the Lord's Prayer is teaching us. Especially when we get to forgiveness. That God's forgiveness is not only related to our forgiveness of others. It's crucial because it breaks the cycle of retaliation. And we all know what the cycle of retaliation is. Oh, oh, you slaughter my animal, I'm going to slaughter one of yours. You're going to strike me, I'll strike you. You're going to hurt me, I'll hurt you. You're going to kill my people, I'll kill your people. Retaliation keeps us in a constant state of division and discord. And we can only break it when we consider the highest act of forgiveness from our Lord on the cross. One last story. Years ago, a 12-year-old boy in California witnessed the murder of his mom and dad. His life appeared ruined. He was sent to a state school for boys. He became apathetic and withdrawn. He did poorly in school. Neither a psychologist nor a therapist could pierce the shield of defenses that his mind had thrown up. But he did graduate from high school. And right after that, he attended a church meeting where he heard a testimony from another young man about the difference Jesus Christ had made in his life. And so for the first time, he heard the gospel. And after this experience, he became a Christian and his entire life turned around. He got involved with a community. He got involved with a Bible study. He got involved with a prayer group. He had trusted Christian friends that he could talk to about his pain and suffering. When he had been introverted and withdrawn, he was no longer alone. He went on to law school, and there he did something that he had wanted to do from the moment of his conversion. He visited the man who had killed his parents. The man was serving a life sentence in a state penitentiary. Their first meeting was not a good one. It was awkward and weird. They were nervous. And they had a hard time speaking to each other. But he kept going back. And he kept trying. And finally there was a breakthrough. The young man told the prisoner, if God can forgive me for all the awful hatred I carried for you, then God can forgive you for all that you have done. A few years later, the prisoner was paroled, and the young man was now an attorney in Modesto, California. Would you believe that he helped this man get a job and re-enter society? I know it. When I read the story, I couldn't believe it. I thought, this is not possible. There is no way on earth someone could actually find it within themselves to forgive and help the very person who destroyed his life. But this isn't about us, is it? This is about a power that is beyond each and every one of us. The power of Christ. And the forgiveness he gives. That is what it means to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We don't have to outlive our enemies. 
we can outlove them. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for this word that we have heard today. And we thank you that you have brought us to know you and your son by your spirit and word. Grant that we, having received Christ, may live in him, that we may be rooted and built up in him, that we may be strengthened in our faith, that we may overflow with thanksgiving, and that we may be the people who live this forgiveness and generously share it with others. It is so difficult, loving God. It is so hard. So we ask for your strength and for your power. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people say, Amen. New to Central? Since 1840, we have been connecting people to God and to one another through scripture, sacrament, song, and service. We are located on the corner of College Avenue and Fulton Street in the Heritage Hill neighborhood of Grand Rapids. We hope you'll give us the opportunity to meet you in person soon. To learn more about our mission, ministries, and the ways you can grow and serve, please visit our website at www.centralreformedchurch.org.